And so we're going to be back in uh, Philippians as our main text. But let's, let's get our Bibles, beat the devil over the head a couple times. This is God's Word for me today. Our text again is in Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be dealing with verses 1 through 9 this morning. Philippians chapter 4, I won't read all that to start with. But I'm going to begin, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I I just ask this morning that you would help us to devour your word. Help us to understand your word. Help us to live out your word. Help us to respond to your word. Help us, Lord, as we follow after you. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title this morning is Letter from Prison 4, Something to Learn. The first thing I see when we start talking about something we need to learn from this scripture is we need to learn to stand. Verse 4 that we read, it says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. See, Here's the Apostle Paul writing this letter, again from prison, to the church in Philippi, and he's saying, listen, I love you guys. I love you guys. You're, you're, you're my family. You're, you're, you're my crew, you know. You're my band of brothers, and, and, and women lied out, and, and you're the people that I've, I've invested in and I care about. I love you. And so my desire for you is that you would stand firm. Pastor Jared talked about it a little bit this morning about the people that he's seen in his short life that have walked away from the faith. They wouldn't stand firm because when things came, they they allowed the winds of, of the world to blow them off course. And so the Apostle Paul here is encouraging his family, his brothers and sisters in the Lord. Very, very well, most of those were his spiritual children those who had come to know Jesus under his ministry. And he, he cared so much about them that he says, listen, you've got to stand. It baffled me. You know, and, and today we live in a day, and all we think about is how horrible the atmosphere is around us, how bad the, the political pressure is, and it is. And yet it's no worse than it was in Paul's day. It's no worse than it was then. There was no, the persecution was horrendous. And so as we look at that, we realize if Paul was saying to his crew to stand, we need to speak that over our own lives. We need to stand. When the enemy comes in and tries to change, uh, trying to change the word of God, we stand and say, no, that's not what my Bible says. I don't care what the popular opinion is. I don't care what the denominational stand is. The Bible is my authority, not the pastor, not the president of the organization. The authority is the word of God. And so what we must stand in then is not the, uh, not the well, I'm this denomination, so I just have to go along with whatever they say, right? No, I hope not. If my denomination doesn't stand with the Bible, I'm not standing with them. And I don't care what it is. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer in the assemblies of God. I am. You've heard it. But if they ever move away from what I feel is the authority of the Word of God, I'm moving away from them, you know? Amen. It's the Word of God that's the authority. 
I don't care what, what the group votes on as far as biblical authority. If it's not in here, it's not the authority. And so Paul is saying, listen, the winds are blowing. The persecution is coming. You've got to stand. So important that we learn that we learn that lesson. There are several examples that we find in the Scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When everyone else around them was bowing because the, the king says, if you don't bow, I'm throwing you into the fiery furnace and you're going to die. And so all when the boop, all the noise sounds and the trumpets and the harps and everything's blowing and everybody bows down, these three guys stand there. Can you imagine? It was pretty easy to spot them, even though they, they didn't have to be very big. If everybody else is on the ground and you're standing up, it's pretty easy to spot you. But what they had decided in their hearts was, it didn't matter. It didn't even matter if they got thrown in a furnace. Because even if they died, it was, they were better off than if they bowed. I like this part of the scripture, Daniel chapter 13, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer to you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. Stop. Doesn't matter. What you say, our God is able to deliver us. And he will deliver... Um, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, if he don't deliver us from the consequences, it's okay, they said, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up, period. We will not bow to you even if we go to our death because of it. It is finished. Can you stand with me today and say, yes, that would be my response to the king? You know what? There are times when in my life when I've thought, there is nothing. Kind of like Peter says, ah, no way, Jesus, no. If all the rest of them fail, I'm staying. We know how that ended up. And there are times I wonder, would I? I have to believe that push come to shove, I'm standing. And I hope each and every person in here would have that same mindset. It doesn't matter what persecution comes, I'm standing. But the Apostle Paul says, listen, brothers and sisters, I'm going to encourage you once again to stand. Stand like the three Hebrew children. And then David in 1 Samuel, and I'm not going to take the time to read all that, but, but David says, listen, see that Philistine over there? He doesn't scare me any more than the lion scared me or the bear scared me, because the same God who delivered the lion and the bear is going to deliver that uncircumcised Philistine who has come in against my God. And you see something I really like about David when it said in one, one scripture, when the lion would come, the lion or the bear would grab the sheep and take off with it. David would chase it down and he would jerk that, or jerk that lamb back out of its mouth Kill the old beast and take that lamb back to the fold. 
We say, you see, we serve a God who, who, who will come after the enemy and he will slay the enemy, but not only that, but he will rescue. He just didn't out to slay. He's out to rescue. When the giant went down, he went down and the people of Israel were rescued from the hand of the Philistines. But they had to stand. David had to stand. It's funny, it's not funny, but you read that story. And, and the armies are fighting, you know, the Israelites and the Philistines and, and the children of Israel are fighting until one man, the giant, steps out there. And then they shake in fear. But you need to be, and I need to be, we all need to be like David. When he walks into that situation, what are you scared about? Scared about that one giant? That one man over there that's casting doubt on everything that God has done? We need to stand. We were at uh, this last weekend. My wife and I had the privilege of going to uh, three days of Southern gospel music. <laughs> for some of you, that might seem like torture. I understand it, but, but I'm telling you what, for us, because it wasn't just the music. Each and every person that entered that stage talked about relationship with Jesus Christ. They talked about salvation. They talked about worshiping Jesus. And so we had the privilege of worshiping together with over 3,000 fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, let me tell you, mo most of them weren't Pentecostal. But when the guy asked how many Pentecostals in the room, he heard from a couple. And there were a few more. And he says, don't take many of them, does it? Don't take many of them, does it? But we were all worshiping together. Baptist and Lutheran and, and, and whatever, all the denominations he named, there was one or two from about every denomination he named in the place. And the thing about it, we were all worshiping the Lord together. And we're all encouraged to stand. Um, Pastor Jim Cimbala from uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle got up and spoke on Friday. He preached. And it was just awesome. It was powerful. And one thing... I brought away from that that I inserted in my sermon this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. And this is the Apostle Paul writing at another time, possibly the very last thing that he wrote in his life. It says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. See, Paul says, listen, I, I have fought the fight, and in the course of that fight I have kept the faith. Just a week or two before we went, I was studying and I was reading some of Paul's letters and he, he talked about how Demas had left him and deserted him. And I'm thinking, Demas, I know that name. He's a, he's a, he's a fellow preacher of Paul, right? And so I went back and I looked it up and, and I was reading some of the earlier letters and Paul talks about Demas, he's in there with him and, and, and he's fighting the fight with him and, and he's preaching with him and, and, and then all of a sudden we see at the end of Paul's life, Demon 
runs off, and, and it says he left because he loved this present world more. He let his fire go out. But yet Paul says, listen, if everybody leaves me, that hurts. That hurts. Pastor Jared said, I've seen so many people fall away from the faith. That hurts. I've seen so many people that I would call spiritual children that have come to know Jesus under my ministry walk away from the Lord. That hurts. But what we have to decide is no matter who else chooses to follow Jesus, I'm following him. I'm going to do my part to see that they come with me, but I cannot allow what they have done keep me from following Jesus. He shared how early in his ministry, he, him and his wife went on a much-needed vacation, and when they came back, the associate pastor had cleaned out the bank account and ran off with another woman from the church. He said, that hurt. But we had to stand firm. People will hurt you. Jesus never will. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in who you know is the solid rock, Christ Jesus. People come and go, and it hurts. But Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. The second thing I see from this scripture is we need to learn to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What is the, one of the greatest tools we have to beat back depression and to beat back all these things is rejoice in the Lord because when we're, when we're down, we don't see who he really is. We sometimes see who we think we want him to be, or we sometimes see what we wish he would do. But when we begin to rejoice in him for who he is, we get beyond all of that. We get beyond the fact that of, of our present circumstance, and we just begin to rejoice knowing that we are worshiping Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. You see, Paul writes this from prison. Paul writes this as one who has been bound and chained, one who has probably been beaten maybe numerous times. But he says, listen, rejoice. Because it's not about your present circumstance. It's about who Jesus is. It's about the one who has saved you. I like Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas are, are praying and singing hymns to God. They've been beaten, they've been threatened, they've been thrown in prison, and they worship and pray and sing hymns to God. How awesome is that when in the most desperate moments of your life you can recognize it's not about your circumstance, but it's about the God that you serve. We sometimes, we, we sometimes allow so many things to keep us from worshiping Him. Sometimes we even come to church and we're so bogged down by, by the pressures of the world that we can't even lay them aside for 10 minutes to worship God. And then I, you know, we realize Paul and Silas, as they're beaten and thrown in prison and, and threatened with death, that they say, oh, it's not about that, it's about Jesus. And it's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging because all we can think about is, well, they don't, Pastor, you don't know my circumstance today. God does. He doesn't say, well, when you get to a better place, worship me. 
When you get to feeling better, worship me. When the pain's gone, worship me. When you got a big bank account, worship me. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in me in spite of the pain, in spite of the circumstance, in spite of all that stuff. We were at this concert, and Lynn and Dirk may know a little bit of this story, but Legacy 5 has a 21-year-old piano player. This was an awesome kid. Just, you know, one of those goofy 21-year-olds. You know how goofy they are. But he began to tell his story. When he was in his mother's womb, his father beat his mother so severely that his twin died in the womb. He was born. A few years later, he, they found out that he had been beaten so severely, or he had a stroke, or they found out he had had a stroke while, after he had been beaten in his mother's womb. Had a big old dark spot in his brain, showed the MRI. He says, I'm not supposed to be able to walk or to talk, let alone play the piano. And then he had a tumor. He had cancer. He's 21 years old. And there he, there he is. He's giving God the praise. And he says, I thought everything was good. And then about a year and a half ago, I had a seizure because of the stroke. He said, and thought everything was good after that. They got me on some medicine. He said, thought everything was good. And he said, about three weeks ago, after the concert, one of our concerts, I had another seizure. He said, I thought it was all over. He said, I woke up bawling because, because I can't do what I love to do anymore. And, and then he said, you know, these guys I work with, he said, they love me. And he said, they took care of me. He said, I'm still here playing the piano for them. And he said, as long as I'm able to do that, I'm going to keep worshiping God. And he began to sing a song, God is good. God is good. And he was rejoicing in the Lord, not because he wasn't, because he was perfectly whole, but because in spite of all that he'd been through, he had a God who loved him and a Father in heaven who wouldn't turn his back on him. And he could rejoice in the Lord because of who God was, not because of whether or not he could, he was going to live the rest of his life pain-free or problem-free, but because he knew no matter what, God was with him. And story after story, throughout the weekend of God's, just God's hand upon lives, even in the midst of all the struggles that they have. God's hand on their life. One young man was recovering from an opioid addiction, singing the praises of Jesus. Why? Because God had helped him. God had brought him back into his grace. God is good. Rejoice in the Lord always. We need to learn to pray. I talked on Wednesday night um, about prayer. Talked about as we prepare for revival. We sometimes get hung up on we can't pray like somebody else. Good, because you're not somebody else. You're you. God created you to be you. God created you to have a relationship that I can't have with Him because it's you. So when, when you talk about prayer, you're not talking about saying the words that the pastor says or the words that you heard some guy on TV say. You're talking about a conversation that you're going to have with your best friend. 
And so only you can have that conversation with Him. We need to learn to just begin to pray and just begin to talk and just begin to listen and just begin to have that conversation with God and be sincere with Him. Tell Him how you feel. He knows anyway, right? Tell Him what you need. He knows anyway, but he wants to, it's a conversation He wants to have with you. We need to learn to lay aside what anybody else might think about our prayer and just begin to let it roll. We need to not worry about who might hear or who might not hear us and just begin to pray out loud. Letting God hear us in our hearts. It's not the words He's concerned about. <laughs> he's concerned about what's in here. Because we're all going to mess up on prayers. I don't care how eloquent you think you might be. You're going to mess up. Just pray. Just let the Lord speak in you and through you and just have a communication with Him. Verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So you come to Him, you come to Him and you just let that anxiety roll off of you and you just begin to ask and you begin to praise Him. And you begin to have that relationship with Him that just lets you be free. Just lets you be free to talk. To tell Him your fears. It's okay. Oh, I can't be afraid. No, tell Him about it so He can help you with it. Tell Him about the monster under your bed. As your little kid might say, Oh, I got a monster. No, tell God about it. Let Him help you through those things. Prayer is that conversation. It's about saying, hey, God, I know that you're going to take care of me. I know that you're with me. We need to learn to be thankful. There's a difference between being thankful and, and rejoicing. We need to learn to be thankful because he does bless us. We need to learn to turn those things into thanks. We need to learn to turn those things into thanksgiving. When, when we do get a blessing, thank God for it. Give Him the praise that's worthy of Him. Not only that, but we can already begin to praise Him for what He's going to do. We can be thankful for what He's going to do. The next thing I see in this scripture is we need to adjust our thinking. Verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, if you turn on the news, it's easy to get sidetracked, isn't it? If you look at Facebook, and I'm not against news, I'm not against Facebook, you'll find I'm on there. But if you're not careful, you will begin to allow those things to get your mind off of what we just talked about. And we get to thinking about all that's wrong with the world. We get to thinking about all the problems that, that's out there. And we forget that that's what, bring, that's what brings us down. That's what gets us discouraged. That's what gets us to the place where we don't trust people. That's what gets us to the place where we don't trust God. But when our minds begin to think about these things, the honorable, the just, the pure, I'm not saying we don't have to deal with the other stuff sometimes. I'm not saying that. 
Not saying we live life in la-la land. Everything's good. But our mind needs to be focused on these good things. And so we can properly deal with the other things. We can deal with the issues that come along in life and the negative and, and the persecution and, and, and the garbage when our minds are focused not on those things but on God who can help us to deal with those things. And so we deal with those things in a right spirit. And we confront those things that need confronted with the right attitude. When our minds begin to be focused on God and who He really is, we won't worry about those things. We will just learn to deal with those things in the proper way. If you're constantly thinking about doom and gloom, it's time to change. It's time to get your mind off of it. It's time to put your focus back on the things that God has put in your life. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let your mind be transformed. And then these things that come along, you can test them. And you can see, is this the will of God? Let's test them. How do we test them? Well, the word of God, the, the written word is test number one. Anything that is contrary to the written word of God is not of God. He's not going to come tell you to do something that's contrary to what he's written down. Now, he might come tell you to do stuff that's in line with the word that's not actually written in the word. Like, you know, go over to Joe and talk to Joe or, or, or Jim needs you to... Now, that's not actually... You're not going to look at it. Okay, as soon as I find in here where it tells me to go talk to Joe, I'm going. But we know what the Bible tells us when we're led to do something like that, we do it. But God will never tell you to go do something that's contrary to His Word. God told me to... No, God didn't tell you to do that, brother. I've heard some, I won't even go into it. I've heard, well, God told me. No, that's, that's anti, that's against his word. He didn't tell you to do that. So we need to understand and we need to learn to think right. Another thing I see is in verse 11 says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. We need to learn contentment in him. We need to learn that we aren't going to have everything our way. We need to learn that the pastor's not always going to agree with us. We're going to need to learn that sometimes doing it God's way is not the easy way, but it's okay. I'll be content to do it your way, God. I'll be content with what I have if that means that I can do what you want me to do better. I'll be content, Lord, to, to, to live this way if that's what you want, if that's what you desire for me. I will be content. Again, if you see somebody go out, some Christian go out and buy something new, say, oh, they're just not being content. No, 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 no. I, I wouldn't, that's not it. You be content in the way what God is calling you. If he, if he says go buy a new car, be content in that and say, praise the Lord, God, let's go. It's okay to have a car. It's okay to have another. None of that's wrong as long as God's leading you in that direction. Whatever it is God's leading you in, be content in that. Instead of looking and saying, well, I sure wish God would lead me the way He is leading so-and-so. Well, you're not them and they're not you. You couldn't handle what God's given them, maybe. I always wonder, why God won't you let me win Publishers Clearinghouse? 
I mean, I don't buy gamble. I don't, but, but publishers, I mean, why? Maybe I can't handle it. I don't know, and that's okay with me. That's okay. Whatever I can handle, God, I want. But I want to be content with what I have. Instead of constantly, because what happens is sometimes our focus is, gets more and more on, ooh, I'd like to have that. So we get less and less on, I want what God wants for me, but I want what I want for me. Be content. Allow God, God to help you with that contentment and where you're at in this present time. And sometimes he's going to stir you and say, okay, it's time to move. Be content in knowing that he is the God who wants you to move. He wants you to step out and do something different. Number seven, we need to learn to help and to give to others. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul says, listen, thank you. Thank you because you shared. First, I like this first part. You shared in my trouble. You were there with me in my trouble. You were alongside me when I was hurting. You were with me when I was walking through the hard spot. You didn't abandon me when things looked bad. You were there with me and you were probably praying over me and, and whatever slobbered over me. You were there with me, thank you. But he also says, you guys were the one who sent me the finances I needed for the ministry. You guys, when nobody else was supporting me, you guys saw it in your hearts to send me gifts, to help me, to, to, to meet my needs. Because, you know, the Apostle Paul, he liked, I'm sure he liked to eat too. He got hungry. He says, you guys were awesome. When every time, you know, you hear missionaries when they come, they, they thank you. They, 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 you know, when I talk to missionaries, pastor, we appreciate what you guys are doing. We, appre we don't send a, each one a lot of money, but they appreciate every little bit they get because it helps in the, them spread the gospel. But their, our prayers, thank you for being with us in your prayers. Thank you for praying for us, pastor. Thank you for coming alongside of us and being part of the ministry with us. Part of what Paul's saying here is, listen, we need to help each other. If, if somebody's in need, send to that need. And we've talked about Convoy of Hope many times, an Assembly of God organization that, that sends liter help literally anywhere in the world when there's a disaster. They're, they're on the ground. When, the, when those things start rolling in, that stuff's going to happen here or there, they start packing stuff, they start getting ready. They've got dis distribution places around the world that's closer maybe to over here than the United States is, they got them ready and they get them going. Why? Because we believe that part of what God has called us to do is to help others. Part of what God has called us to do is see the need in somebody else's life and minister to them, whether it be just come along. People get all, oh, you're always talking about money. No, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking coming alongside people. Sometimes they don't even need your money. They just need you to come alongside them. And they need to know that you're a brother or sister that, that's going to hang with them even if they're bawling all night on your shoulder. It's okay. Cry on my shoulder. I'm your friend. 
They, the, the people need to know that we're willing to come alongside them no matter where they're at. Do, do we do a great job of that? Sometimes I don't know. I think we, we can all do better. Let's work together to do better. Let's decide, you know what? I want to be the kind of Christian that sees a need and begins to mobilize even before the hurricane strikes. God will prepare you if you will get into a sensitive attitude. Say, God, help me to be sensitive to what I need to do. Help me to be sensitive to who I might need to go to and to be a friend to and a minister to. Maybe to go buy a cup of coffee for, take him out to lunch for. And then when he does that, don't do what, you know, we do sometimes and say, I'm too busy for that. Now, you don't have to say amen. You don't have to point your finger at me. I know I'm guilty. But let's say, God, help us. Help us to do better. Help us to serve others better than we ever have before. And the last thing we're going to, ooh, way past time. <laughs> so I'm going to close with this. When we, we need to learn, when we do our part, God will do His. When we do what we're supposed to do, we can trust. Verse 18, 19. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. See, Paul says, listen, you guys are sacrificing for me. You guys have ministered to me. You guys have poured your heart out to me. You guys have sent letters to me. You have come visited me. God is going to supply your needs because you have been faithful to Him. So I'm going to close. When you're faithful to what God is asking you to do, you can know that he's going to do what you need. Bow your heads, if you will, this morning. Oh, Lord. God, what a great example that we have as the Apostle Paul writes this letter. And as we've talked about it these last few weeks, help us, Lord, to realize he was encouraging us to follow you more closely. He wasn't encouraging us to follow Him. He was encouraging us to follow You more closely. And Lord, today, I, I just ask that Your Holy Spirit, as we're, we're preparing for revival in this church and in this community, but Lord, more than that, we need to prepare for revival in our own lives. God, help us to understand all that Paul has to say to us through the anointing of the Holy Spirit that we can in, in turn be the people of God you want us to be so that we can reach this community and the communities around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That people will be saved and set free by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we close this service this morning, God, I, I pray that this week you would speak to our hearts about things in our life that we need to change. Maybe we're not living the way you want us to live. 
Maybe we're doing things we shouldn't be doing or not doing something we should be. God, I pray that this week you will speak to our hearts as we open up to you that we can make those changes so we can be more like you. And so, Lord, as this revival burns in our hearts, we will be willing to reach out to those who don't know you. Lord, may that be our cry this week. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to follow you. So, Lord God, we close. Knowing that you are going with us in every corner of this area, wherever we might go, you're going with us. Use us, Lord, for your purpose. Pour us out, Lord, as an offering to others. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.